If you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start there. And what I want to say before I begin today is that this series is about discipleship. It's about learning who you are as a new covenant believer. How many know you're in the new covenant? How many know God finished it? How many know it's a finished work that you live from? That's right. You do. If you didn't know, now you know. But let's talk about it today because this series is about how do we walk out everything that we have learned or gained from Jesus' finished work on the cross. Take your right hand, set it on your heart for me as we begin this morning. Come on, repeat after me. Eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a mouth to confess all of the good things Christ has provided for me. Come on, if you believe it, give him some praise this morning. Come on. I got a lot of scripture to give you today, and so I want you to follow along. Can you keep up this morning? I know you can. Any Bibles, real Bibles, hardback Bibles in this? Come on. Let's go. More than 9 a.m. I give you the props. This is why 11 a.m. is my favorite service. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. Let's read it together, whether you have your own Bible or following along, along on the screen. It says this, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace. There it is. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. Here we go. So remember, as we begin our talk today, you have to know that this letter that was written to Timothy was to teach Timothy of what it looked like to live as a new covenant pastor, leader, church leader, shepherd, and I know many of you sitting here today, you may not consider yourselves pastor, church leader, but hear me, you do have some stake in this. You're leading your families, you're leading your business, you are leaders in your community, in your circle of friends, you are leaders. Do you remember last week we began a, uh, our topic um, based on a story about an imperial general in the Japanese army named Lieutenant Onada. Now remember that in the 1940s, he refused to believe the news that the war was over. And because he refused to believe the news about the war being over, do you remember what he did? He hid in the jungle for more than 30 years. Now, after many attempts, whether it was from his own government, whether it was from leaflets dropped, at his campsite that said the war is over, he refused to believe it. And so what he created was this bubble of misery, this self-erected kind of place where all he did was believe that he was at war with an imaginary enemy. Can I tell you that in many ways, I believe the enemy loves it when he can get Christians to essentially live the same way. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. This is not on our uh, uh, scripture reading today, but you can look this up in your own time. It says that you and I made an enemy of God in our own minds. How do we do that? Well, we fail to believe that God is good. We fail to believe that God is for us. We fail to believe that God is unconditional loving. We fail to believe that God will work out anything according to his good purpose in our lives. That's how we fail to believe it. And that's how we make God an enemy in our own minds. And so hear me, because many of us grew up in religion. For those of you that didn't grow up in religion, congratulations, you don't have much to unlearn. Many of us are unlearning a whole lot of things because we're in the new covenant now. And so we're learning that God is favorable, that he favors us. God is love, so he loves us. And we're coming to a place, and not all of us are there yet, that it seems like this gospel is too good to be true, but hear me. You and I know that Jesus has won the victory over death, which I'm telling you this morning that the war over your life and over sin is over. Jesus lives, right? He lives. And that's the statement of the day. But isn't it interesting that this series is about Coming out of the jungle of religion. You know what a jungle is? A jungle is nothing more than a garden that hasn't been tended. What do you do when we're in the gospel? We are tending our garden. We are, we are tending our garden. We are sowing seeds of God's righteousness and promises for us now, but for our future as well. You're tending to your garden. And so as I think back at the start of this series we have to really answer some questions because there is uh, the difference in uh, the old covenant versus the new covenant. And as you follow the story in scripture about the Israelites, right, the children of Israel, as you follow their story, you can see it doesn't take long before you and I can realize that there is a stark contrast between how people felt and view God in the old covenant versus how we are encouraged to view God and experience God now in the new covenant. Because, yeah, there's a different way to relate to God. And, 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 and we can look at many examples in the Bible, but I'm just going to give you one today. And, and this is where I'm going to present to you a lot of scripture, so I hope that you follow along. And remember last week, we did talk about the children of Israel. We talked about how they were rescued, right? They were freed from captivity, years and years of slavery, meaning this, that God uh, took them out of law and into grace, that God took them out of Egypt and into the promised land. That was a whole intention of them leaving. But, but how many of you know that, that whenever you're freed, what has to follow is the fact that you believe that you're free. And so when God tells the children of Israel, hey, I'm going to provide quail for you. I'm going to provide water for you. I'm going to sustain you through day and night, and I will be there with you. Do you know what that means that the children of Israel have to have faith. Because when you start talking about freedom in church, 
And when you start talking about you've been freed from sin and that you're free forever and that you reign over those things, can I tell you, without the proper context, people get a little weird about the word freedom in church. But it was for freedom that you have been set free. So people get a little weird not understanding what this freedom looks like. And just like the children of Israel, they didn't know what it looked like. But all it meant was that they're no longer in captivity, but now they actually have to trust the one who is their creator. And in the same way, you and I have broken from the bondage of religion and legalistic views and ideology and philosophy, all these things that the world teaches. And you and I are now called to trust and rely and rest in what God said. What does God say, believer? God says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. God says that he's always going to provide for you. God said that he is your healer. God said that he is the good shepherd. All these things you're called to believe. So let's not get weird when we talk about freedom in the church. Because freedom is for you. Okay, follow with me. Exodus 19, verses 12 through 13. This is where the children of Israel just traveled through the Red Sea. They came to Mount Sinai. Anybody familiar with Mount Sinai? And there God instructed Moses to climb the mountain to meet him. But he ordered the rest of the Israelites to stay away. So come on, let's read it. Listen to how I went down. It says this. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Wow. Now think about this for a second because God even says, hey, they're not going to be able to live if they touch this mountain that I'm about to be on. And you can't even touch them to kill them. So just make sure they get an arrow, like kill them from a distance. Feeling good yet? Okay, verse 16, here we go. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it like fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Okay, you getting the description yet? The presence of God was a terrifying thing to the people of that day. And then in chapter 20, verse 18, it says it again that they trembled, they trembled, they trembled in fear. And so soon after this, the Israelites, what they do is they build a temple for God under the leadership of Solomon. Now, let me take you real quick to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. And if you're not getting it yet, I want to let you know that the point of this is there was moments where the presence was overwhelming to God's people. Verse 1, when Solomon finished praying, 
Fire came down from the heavens and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces on the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. So again, here's a scene portraying the manifestation of God's holy presence and the people overwhelmed by it. What's the point? Well, before I get into the point, you have to know that the Holy of Holies was like the place to be. Or for us common folk, it was the place to avoid. Because back in those days, remember, the only one that was invited to the Holy of Holies was the lead priest. And the lead priest would go into this Holy of Holies and he would, on the Day of Atonement, make sacrifices for your sins, for my sins, for everybody's sins. So it was a bloody scene. Nothing pretty. And some of you students of scripture are familiar with these things in reading of the Old Testament. It was a time when the presence of God was often terrifying and overwhelming to the people. Meaning this, that they were commanded to keep their distance. Do you see that? There was borders put around Mount Sinai. Why? There had to be Distance between holy and unholy. But hear me when I say this, because what we discover as as the story unfolds, as we've been growing in grace and seeing Jesus for who he actually is, that that was never God's intent to exclude anyone. Remember, these things were only a shadow of what was to come. Okay, that was the old covenant. You got a great picture of that, right? Distance, borders, stay back. You couldn't get close. Okay, let's flip it. Here we go. Jesus comes on the scene, the New Testament, or I would say it like this, the the human temple of God on earth. And what does he do? He begins to touch the sick. He begins to touch the disease. He begins to be around people, right? Even so that he is coined the friend of sinners, which is not a compliment in that day. Do you see that? Jesus steps on the scene and now he's among the people. And while many Pharisees said, you're too close That was God's intent from the beginning of time. So don't get your theology from an old covenant view. Get it from Jesus. And can I tell you that these two depictions of God, the one we see provoking fear and trembling in the Old Testament, and the one drawing near to the lost and broken in the new, is the reason some have trouble understanding the two depictions and how they fit together. So let me break it down for you, because in the old covenant, we were afraid to get close to God. That's what you just read. We were afraid to get close to God, but in the new covenant, we're affirmed because God has come close to us. (laughs) In the old covenant, our ascension produced fear. 
But in the new covenant, his descension, you want to know what it produced? It produced faith in us. And Mount Sinai was all about man getting to God. Any mountain in the old covenant was about man trying to get close to God. But, the, but Mount Calvary, do you know what that is about? God getting to us. In the old covenant, you were required to climb mountains. In the new covenant, you're required to simply speak to mountains. Jesus flipped it. And he's showing us how we relate to God and how we operate as sons and daughters in God's kingdom. So here's the deal. If we only believe in the God of Mount Sinai, we might conclude that we can never do enough to please him. And on the other hand, if we understand that because of Jesus, our connection, our connection to God has been radically and eternally changed, we can rest in his abundant grace. And this is why maybe Jesus steps on the scene and he's, what, he's, what he sees, just get his view for just a second. What he sees is a lot of people who are worn out on religion. What he sees is a world that has been torn apart on rules and, 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 and legalism. And, and they, these humans keep moving the standard up and down, up and down. And they're not meeting anything. So maybe this is why Jesus shows up on the scene in Matthew eleven twenty eight, And he says these sweet words. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Now get this because we know how to rest our bodies, but it's really hard for us to rest our soul. Best place you can do that is falling back on the finished work of Jesus. And then he finishes it with this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christians, are you living a life that is easy, that is light? That's a real question. Many of us try to live with a badge of, some kind of badge of honor, saying, oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm doing a lot of suffering for God's glory. That doesn't sound like what Jesus offered you here. So let me tell you, if we're not living a life of easy and burden that is light, can I tell you, maybe, we've, maybe we're living from the wrong foundation. Maybe we're living from the wrong place. And so you see here that one of the chief reasons that Jesus shows up on the scene and one of the great aspects of, of our salvation that he offers is the ability to enjoy irreversible closeness with God. The promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's close. So real quick, let, let's go through these. I don't know how, how far I'm going to get, but let's go through these. These are some lies that we have believed. And, and many of us, like I said, we're, we're unlearning some things so that we can start building on the right thing. Remember Paul, he encouraged every believer. He goes, hey, make sure that you're building on the right foundation. You're responsible for what you're building. Am I building my life based on a legalistic, self-righteous perspective, or am I building my life on God's grace? The unconditional love that he has bestowed on me. 
So very quick, follow along with me, whether it's through your Calvary app or writing it down. Number one, here's a lie that we believed. I must get closer to God. And hear me when I say this, because this is, has been said by well-meaning preachers, communicators, speakers, leaders. Matter of fact, every Sunday, at, 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 I'm telling you, I meet somebody that, that they're new, and, and I ask them, hey, it's good to see you. What made you come? I just want to get closer to God. Sounds very noble, I know. But can I tell you, how can you get close to God when the Bible says that he is in you and you are in him? Okay, but stop, preacher, because James 4, 8 says that aren't we to draw near to him? Then he will draw near to us. Yes, that's in the Bible. And I would like to say, let's pause on that because I'm going to, come back to that in just a minute. So let's talk about what the Bible shows us because when we realize that we're in Christ, everybody say in Christ. That's a reality. We're in Christ. Can I tell you, everything begins to change. It is the in Christ revelation that transforms because when you know that Jesus really meant when he was talking about vines and branches, and being one, can I tell you, that's describing our union with God. That when you see a vine and a branch, you can't tell the end from the other because they're so wrapped up together that you lose where the other one is heading and where the other one starts and where the other one ends. Can I tell you, when God looks at you, can I tell you that you are in Christ, Christ is in you, and God is in you, and you are in God, and the Holy Spirit is present with you, you can't tell where you end, where you begin. That's called union. That's called union. It's a great camp title, by the way. We should do that. In Christ. How do, I, how do I know this? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. Here we go. It says, you see, we don't, we don't get any closer than being in Christ. There it is again, in Christ. Colossians 1.27, we don't get any nearer than Christ being in us. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, that we don't get any greater intimacy than being one with spirit in him. That's a picture. Lord, help us have eyes to see have eyes to see that we are united we are in union so let me ask you a question so think about this for just a moment because many of us still believe that we can get get closer to God inch our way closer to God we want to climb that mountain we want to experience right and by the way when you say that I believe people want to experience they want to feel something that's what I really yeah. So let me ask you a question. So if you were going to try to get closer to God, how would you go about doing that? Really, how would you go about getting closer to God? Would 27 more Bible studies do it? Would 14 more hours of prayer take you to that place? Would seven more days of fasting Make it happen for you. Okay, 
So after you put in all those hours and all that work, how would you really know that you're closer? And if you get there, how much more work do you have to put in to stay at that place? Now think about it for a second. So let me ask you this question. Is closeness a feeling? Feelings and emotions are fine, but they're not always a reliable source of truth. And the Bible says that it is truth that you have been united with God in Christ. So it's important to realize that closeness is a truth and not a feeling. You may feel closer at times, but it doesn't mean it's more truer than ever. It has always been true. It has always been true. And that's why we say that God grace not, God's grace not only saves us, but it keeps us. Because when I feel like I'm not close, the truth of the matter is, is that he's close. And his grace keeps me, protects me, saves me, empowers me, even when I don't realize it myself. How good is God? So good. <laughs> so, so then in Ephesians chapter 2, remember it talks about that you've been brought close to God by the blood of Jesus. And then in Romans 5.10, it talks about that you and I have been united to Christ forever by his resurrection. So it's the good news, it's the finished work of Jesus that makes us close. And if you're glad for that, you can give Jesus some praise this morning. Now remember last week we touched on this, is that your sin hasn't just been cleansed, but or I'm sorry, hasn't been covered, but you have been cleansed from your sin. Because if you can cover something up, then you can uncover it. No, you've been cleansed. You've been made. You know, want to know what holy means? Holy means whole, complete. You have been made whole and complete. And because you and I have been cleansed, we're forever close to God and if that's true, what about the place where James talks about draw near to God? And I'm glad you asked. And I'm glad you were thinking it. So let's answer it. James 4.8, read it with me. It says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Pretty straightforward, right? But let's move on. It also says this, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Context is everything. James right here is not talking to believers. He's talking to unbelievers. So listen, many of us have taken this passage of Scripture, and so we've said, you know what? I need to be close to God, so let me draw near to him. Okay, James, I got you. I got to wash my hands because I'm a sinner, and I got to purify my hearts. How do you do that? No, seriously, how do you do that? Some of us, what we've done is we've taken that verse and we've gone to work. Pray, fast, serve, give. Pray, 
fast. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, but the place you do them from can be detrimental. He says, wash your hands. Okay. Purify your hearts. Okay. Double-minded. So first off, James right here is addressing a subgroup within the audience who he identifies as sinners, not saints. You, my friends, are considered saints. So in context, he's speaking to a group of Jews who are double-minded. What do I mean by that? Is that they started with Jewish custom and tradition. Then they came into God's grace and they felt and they experienced the freedom of God's grace. But then, because freedom can be weird for some people, they went back to relying on their works. Double-minded. That's not you. Because every time we preach and we declare God's goodness over you, we are declaring there is only one gospel, one God, under one grace, under one message. There is no other message. So remember this, that for the believer, for you and I, new covenant believers, that proximity is a promise and not a pursuit. It is a promise made by God that you are close and he is close to you. It's not a pursuit. It's a promise. So listen, you don't have to go to every church conference, although that can be good. You don't have to tune in to every TV preacher, although that can be good to get close to God because it's not a pursuit. It is a promise. And most of us need to stop our pursuits because we really, really need to find a place where we can just rest in the fact that he pursued us. I wish I can go on and on. I'm 22 after. Number two, I'm going to give you this and then we're going to, we're going to close it. Okay, another lie that we believe, I must live for Jesus. Sounds good. Sounds noble. Sounds very, very, very biblical. And if I were to put a deep voice behind it, it would sound very believable. (laughs) And hear me, because yes, we're to live our lives to glorify him. And we've heard this countless times, many of us growing up. But what if I told you that Christianity is not about living for Jesus? But that Christianity, this walk, is actually about Christ himself living his life through you. Jesus didn't come to offer you some kind of program where you can become better at defeating sin. He didn't come to offer you a a self-improvement plan. This is not what Christianity is. You have been crucified. You have been crucified. And because you have been crucified, guess what? He raised you up with him. Paul says it like this, that you have been made alive in Christ. You have been made alive. So let me put it to you like this, because if I have died, then I am a new creation. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. This is how uh, the author of Colossians says it. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
Let's continue to verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That notice right here that Paul's focus isn't just on a future day, but on the fact that Christ is our life right now. So hear me when I say this, and I want, to, I want you to wrap your minds around this, that every time I bear fruit, every time I, I bear fruit, it's an appearing. It's a revelation that Christ is alive on earth through me. I'm not saying I am a God. I'm just saying that Christ lives his life through me. He does the impossible through me. And even as I progress on my journey, there will be a day where I'm fully known in his glory. So I am appearing every day and I will appear someday. I hope you got that. Come to a gospel circle. So hear me because there was some Christians in the early church living in a region called Galatia. And they began well. They started well. They started really good in God's grace. But then they, they fell off track. And this is what, what the book of Galatians is all about. Because remember they came out of an understanding and into God's grace but hear me when I say this, that, that grace and, and law cannot be mixed together to mature anyone. If anything, it harms them. This is why you have to be committed to the gospel of grace or you got to go full law. And many are not willing to go full law. And many are not going to full to, to Many are not willing to go full grace because you have to trust in everything. But many are not willing to go full law because if, if they were willing to go full law, then they got to go full law. You got to go back to what uh, uh, Exodus says, all the laws, every single law that God established on earth, you, you better follow them. But they don't want to do that. What, what churches do is they pick and choose, pick and choose. We can do this. We can do that. We can do this one. We can meet this one here. So let's make this our doctrine and uh, let's make people follow this so that they become a good disciple. And so what you had is a, how the history of the church divisions. And so Galatians 5, 16, 21 kind of describes it for us. Follow along with me. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify desires of the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary of the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Let's name them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies like and like no other. And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God that's a lot 
So right here, Paul is describing for us that there is a battle between flesh and spirit. And the victory comes not by trying harder, friends, but in finally giving up on trying in favor of trusting God's grace. Do you want to know what that looks like? Here it is, Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is, there it is, no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, here it is, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Simply put, trusting in God's saving grace, keeping grace, and carrying grace. The phrase he uses, hey, that many of the Galatians of that day went back to work. And Paul gives us a contrast between the acts of flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Another translation says that the acts of flesh are works of the flesh. So let me put it to you like this, works of flesh, what is that, what is that? What is that, Pastor? It's anything that you do to try to achieve or accomplish anything from God outside of trusting. You may not have to trust for peace. Yeah. You mean I got to trust him for this financial dilemma? Yeah. You mean I have to trust him through this relational issue? Yes. And a lot of time he tells you to sit down and don't move a muscle until clarity comes to your head and you know that it is the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you but as human beings when we have an issue or a problem our first thing we do is to act I gotta fix it I gotta do it I gotta fix it I gotta do it I've learned that whenever I have a problem whatever it is if it's even pressing for that day at the end of the day I really have no control you've heard me say it, that if it's out of your control, then you're in the best place to be, to trust Jesus. So closeness to God is a gift because of his grace and his life and the power that he gives us is to be expressed. It's to be expressed. I'm going to invite you back this Wednesday for Gospel Circle and let's answer this lie or let's combat this lie and it's this, I must die to self. We're growing in grace. We're close to God. God lives his life through us and what a joy it is to allow Jesus to do the impossible through us. It's the only way to live. Remember how we began. It's a knowing. 
It's a knowing, and many of us know, and we know that we know, but then in the Greek, there's another different kind of knowing that the Bible talks about, and it's a knowing as experiencing. And my prayer for you is that you continue to experience God's favor, God's blessing. Hear me. My prayer for you is that you continue to experience his empowering grace. That you have strength, courage to face it head on. And believe me, child of God, he's the one that works. He's the one that works it out for your good. He's the one that works it out for you. Good. With every head bowed, every eye closed, come on. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. Some of you may sound, man, this sounds too good to be true. Jesus is good. Think of him as a good father. A good father. Loving you. Guiding you. empowering you to overcome in this life so that you may experience all the fullness that he has in store for you the closeness that you heard today that is a promise wow many of us are used to people running from us whenever we hurt them but not God no God is secure in himself he knows who he is His feelings don't get hurt based on what you don't do for him because he knows you. He gave you his own DNA and he calls that forth. Matter of fact, he calls you based off your DNA. Son, daughter, royalty. You know my voice. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning and I thank you that We're getting a revelation of just who God is and who he is in our lives. There's no more mountains. There's no more ladders, no more scales. God, you have pursued us. What a picture. You pursued us. You came to us to dwell among us and to hear what we say and experience what humanity is like. You came to us, but you healed us. And for that reason, Lord, we celebrate your name and we celebrate who you are. And we remind and we renew our minds to the very truth that you are always close to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Come on.